How do you fit role-playing back into your life? What adjustments need to be made to be able to return to the table? Welcome back, Rescuers. I'm your host, Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the first full episode of Season 2. Today, we have a question from a listener, one of my favourite podcasters. Hi, Shay. This is Ray of Plundergrounds. You asked for questions uh, about where to go with your series, and I would like to hear more about fitting role-playing back into your life in the sense that when you're young, your life is almost just uh, naturally suited to role-playing games. You have lots of spare time hanging out with your friends. Um, But as you become an adult, if you want to fall back into gaming, you have to move other things in your life to accommodate that. Uh, Your spouse, if you have one, has to get used to the idea or join in. Um, You have to find, you know, role-playing friends. And so you sort of make some new friends. uh, And that means you have to make room for those in your set of friends. And there's just... um, lots of adjustments that have to go on in your life if you are going to do a role play rescue. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about those. That's Ray Otis. And Ray, that's a great call in. Thank you. I'd like to kick off the new series with an attempt at answering it. But before we talk about the how, I'd like to address the even bigger question. Why? If Ray's right about the adjustments that need to be made in a busy life just so that you can fit in a role-playing game, and I think he is right about that, then the first question I think we should address is a simple one. Why should we try to make room for role-playing games? This is the question that without an answer is going to lead us to defeat as soon as we try to deal with the significant people in our lives. If you don't have a good reason for a given change in behaviour, then frankly, spouses, kids, friends and workmates are not going to get it. With that in mind, I think we owe it to ourselves to try and reach down deep and ask ourselves, why do I want to play role-playing games? As ever, I think that the why questions are linked to stories. In the famous words of Worf, son of Moog, these are our stories. They tell us who we are. Delving back into my own past, reflecting on the moments when memories of role-playing rise to the surface most easily, I detect a simple theme that comes up time and again. The first time I opened RuneQuest, my first ever role-playing game, alone in my bedroom as a young teenager, I felt drawn into the fantastic realm revealed inside. There, as a champion of the gods, I could find a place as a hero, and, I later found out, could even go on magical hero quests into the mythic realms. I felt at home and no longer an outsider. When I gathered around the table at my friend Daniel's house most mornings, and also in the evenings that bracketed time at high school, I was with peers, friends who understood my burgeoning imagination, and who accepted my wild silliness or adventurous ideas. As a player of role-playing games, I was able to take on new roles and try out different personas, a process that helped me to learn to think differently as I grew older. It was role-playing games that allowed me to make a fresh start at university, even though I never got to play one for the three years I was living there. From the first day, I took my deepest wounds from childhood and allowed them to be covered by a new, more positive persona. Crikey. (laughs) Although it's embarrassing in some ways to think back on it, I 
I invented a new persona for myself, complete with a chosen nickname, and presented myself in a fresh way. It was a choice that led to my acceptance in new circles of friends. It was a persona that, over a few months, I was able to relax and meld back into my true character. Role-playing games helped me to feel acceptance. First it was the acceptance of friends. Later it was that I learned to accept myself, who I am in the real world. So, why are you wanting to get back to the table? Obviously I can't answer that for you. It's a question to ponder for yourself, but... In the immortal words of Simon Sinek, author of Start With Why, I'd like to suggest that you do just that. Start with why. Don't try to convince anyone, including yourself, of a course of action until you know why. And we're not talking about the shallow why of everyday life, which most people answer with a what. This is not like the shallow business person answering why with a target, like to increase market share by 5%. That's not why. That's what. Why is the underlying motivation? It's the reason you get out of bed in the morning and do your job. It's the why you choose your partner or it's the why you play role-playing games. And it's the same answer for all of those. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably need to watch Simon Sinek's TED Talk, How Great Leaders Inspire Action. I'll, I'll stick a link in the show notes. It's 10 years old now. Yet speaking as a person who has gone through the process Simon recommends, I can tell you that Knowing why is a powerful tool. And yes, this is veering into self-help territory, within which I can confess to a high degree of cynicism. And yet, some things are good. Our wisdom. And true wisdom applies to your life in every sphere. We shouldn't be afraid of considering ideas from all spheres of knowledge in our quest to get back to the gaming table. Everyone knows what they do. Most people know how they do it. Very few people know why. For me, I get out of bed every day to create communities of discovery in in which people find acceptance. Currently I do that at work as a teacher, helping young people discover about themselves and about the richness of human belief. I do that through writing and podcasting, drawing people who share my interests together so we can discover together. And I do it at the gaming table when I, as GM, create a mini-community in which we get to discover an adventurous stories and in which we can all feel accepted as adventurers. That's my why. What's yours? Let's get back to Ray's question. How do you fit role-playing back into your life? What adjustments need to be made to be able to return to the table? Ray made three suggestions that are pretty pertinent. I think there are three major changes that you need to make to stand any chance of getting back to the table. First year, you need to work out how to move things around in your life to create a space for gaming. Second, you need to help your spouse, partner or significant others get used to the idea of you having a space for gaming. And lastly, you need to attract some people to join you at the table or at least go out and find an existing group to join. I think that even before all of this, however, you need to overcome the largest hurdle of all. You need to give yourself permission to play. Everyone's life is different. Everyone listening to this podcast has a unique set of experiences that brings them to this point. I can't know your situation, and I can't speak to your specific challenges, yet I do notice some trends. 
I think there are some common barriers to play, and they start with you. You are the person who stops you from playing. In my own life, if I'm not gaming, it's because I've constructed barriers to play. At any single moment I could, in a moment of reckless abandon, choose to do anything that I want. I am a free agent. I was born free, but everywhere in my life I am in chains. And, like Ebenezer Scrooge, these are chains that I have constructed for myself. When I was around 11 years old, Puffin Books published The Warlock of Firetop Mountain. That book presented to me, for the first time, although it was not a new idea, a game I could play alone. Truthfully though, as a kid, I used to play board games and war games alone in my room. In 1979, when I was eight years old, my dad bought Yakunto Games' Panzer, Hex and Chit, tabletop board war game, loads of tanks, loved it. It didn't take long before I was borrowing the game and playing it alone in my bedroom. Yeah, I'm a pretty introverted loner even today. But here's my point. I didn't feel barriers to playing when I was a kid. And I bet you didn't either, until the adults around you convinced that playing was a thing that children do. But that, my friends, is a big lie. Play is fundamental to human behaviour. It's also important for our mental health, and we all play, just in different ways. In a society that is increasingly hostile to the more common forms of play, such as playful conversation and banter, flirting and other social interactions, it's getting harder to find outlets for the spirit of playfulness. But you need to play, and to play, you need to give yourself permission. Do it now. Stop. Take a moment and give yourself permission. I'll wait. Did you do it? Okay, I'll continue. Now that you're willing and ready to play, you need some space. Honestly, I'd start small. Go and grab a copy of the Warlock of Fire Tap Mountain and, and play it for a few minutes. Making a small space, say between 10 and 15 minutes in your day, to flip the pages of a solo game book like that, will be fun. You'll need to grab two six-sided dice to play it, though, and, and a pencil. You'll be role-playing, albeit a simple and frustratingly limited form of role-playing, but you will be gaming. You'll be creating a character. You'll put that character into a dangerous and interesting environment, and you'll be making choices. That's the essence of role-playing. And if you don't like The Warlock of Firetop Mountain, why not check out some of the games like Tunnels and Trolls? Some excellent solo games there. Next, you need to carve out an hour from your schedule. Yeah, I know. Seriously? A whole hour? Impossible. How can you find an hour? I'm sure you're a resourceful and intelligent person who can find an hour in a week of 168 hours. Right then, one hour. What to do with it? Well, if it were me, I'd spend the first full free hour as a role player working out what I want to do. I'd grab some of my favourite old games off the shelf and go leafing through them. I'd try and figure out what genres I like, which games I remember fondly, what I, given time and help, want to do with my hobby. And I'd try to write a list of anyone I know who might be interested. Who can you game with? 
Do you just want to game solo? That's a valid option. Are your kids old enough? Able to talk, listen, read and do basic maths and not eat the dice? Do you want to involve them? What about the partner or spouse, boy or girlfriend? What about friends or even work colleagues? Who can you game with? And do you want to game face to face or are you willing to meet and game online? Do some homework. One hour. Reminisce, remember, think. Do some online searches. Make a list of people. One hour. At this point, I want to interject with a new, highly experimental segment. I'm calling it A Book Off The Shelf. All I'm going to do is rather randomly grab a book off the immense stacks and awful shelves in my house. Although, honestly, most of my hobby books exist in an unruly pile in the wrap bedroom. And having grabbed a book, I'm going to talk about it for a couple of minutes. Actually, now I think about it, that might be a really cool challenge for you guys listening. Do you have a favourite old RPG that you'd like to share with the rest of us? Why not record a short message and tell us three things about your favourite? If one minute of anchor message isn't enough, don't worry. Record two messages and I'll edit them together for the show. Anyone interested? Go on, tell us about your book off the shelf. Right then, this week, uh, Book Off The Shelf presents... Oh yeah, Palladium Fantasy Roleplaying. Okay, I've got about a minute or so, so three things I loved about this game. Number one, artwork, okay? Evocative images, cool summoning circle diagrams that used to like draw me in big time, and, and stuff that invites character ideas. I absolutely love the artwork in these books, and they really inspire me. So does all the writing, by the way, the background stuff, and not so much of it in the rule book, but in the setting stuff that comes in other books. Awesome. Um, D100 skills with a D20 combat system. Um, armor that absorbs injury, um, attacks, and a chance to parry as well. You know, it's like you roll, they roll back. You know, it's not just like a one-off thing where you hit and it's abstract. Uh, and weapon training that leads to genuinely varied fighting styles. I mean, it matters if you have a sword or a dagger in this game, like big time. Um, and OCCs, occupational character classes, okay, with unique character abilities, um, spells, and, and powers, and things that you can do that make every single one of the classes totally different. Every character in this game is unique and interesting. And the other thing I remember about Palladium Fantasy role-playing game, big time, I remember actually drawing, hand-drawing with pencil and a ruler on a couple of sheets of paper, like character sheets for myself, and then rolling up characters. Like before photocopiers were affordable, I used to draw a character sheet every single time and then roll up a character using these rules. And and I loved it, and it's fantastic. Um, I buy everything Palladium that I can get my hands on. Um, you know, I've got all of the setting and source books for this role-playing game, and I wish I could play it more. In, a, in reality, I'd probably play the setting with some different rules, but hey, Palladium Fantasy role-playing, ladies and gentlemen, game on. Let's talk about spouses, partners, and significant others. Once you've begun to work out how to move things around in your life to create a space for gaming... You also need to help your spouse, partner or significant others get used to the idea of you having a space for gaming. I think that these two things go hand in hand. Once you've had the first hour and maybe also tasted some role-playing juice via a solo gamebook like Warlock, you need to begin to plan a first session. Here's the thing, whatever time you're going to shift is probably going to hit the radar of anyone in your life who cares about you. When I decided to start attending the local role-playing club in Nottingham way back in 1998, 
when I first moved here. It happened on a Sunday afternoon for about three or four hours. I had to get a bus into town and then walk through the Meadows estate, generally considered to be a drug and crime haven, to be honest, to attend the venue, an old community centre. Four or five hours on a Sunday needed to be discussed with my wife, Deborah. I'm lucky she gets me and she didn't object. We were new to Nottingham, so it was part of me making new friends. Plus, back then I worked for Games Workshop and it seemed natural. I started to go along. It's where I met Ian, my most loyal player and a fine GM in his own right. Eventually, Deb even came along too and became a GM for a while. When I decided to move my group, built from members of the club, to my home on a Friday night, largely because the club was shrinking fast and it was easier for everyone to game at our house, it wasn't too hard to negotiate a Friday night for four hours. But when Deb left the group and I got busier with work, well, we had to cut back to once a fortnight. But like I said, I got lucky. I think honesty and openness is the best strategy. I think telling people we love that we'd like to make a bit of a space to unwind and have fun, to meet some new people or gather old friends, well, that's not too tough a conversation between adults. But some things will sweeten the pot. If you're willing to involve the kids, that'll be a winner. If your partner is curious or an ex-gamer too, that'll make life easier. But if, as is unfortunately the case too often, your significant other does not understand, well, you're in for a tougher time. But hey, remember, you are an adult. You are allowed to have some time for play. It's important. But here's a tip to help non-gamers understand what a first session of a few hours. To understand what that is a little better. When I was about 15, I played in a 24-hour role-playing session for charity. We played all the way through Moria using the Rollmaster game system. It was the gaming session that invented Goriel Swiftfoot, my hobbit burglar who slayed the Balrog. Yeah, really. I think we probably played Rollmaster slightly wrong, but it was awesome. How do we persuade the eight sets of parents to let us play for one huge all-weekend session? We made it a charity event. We sought sponsorship. I think for AIDS research, because that really scary government AIDS awareness campaign in 1986, well, it scared us. I remember my friend Daniel told me he was going to find a cure for AIDS. He's a biochemist now, I think. Anyway, we played that game in Moria for charity. The hostile parents agreed. Bingo. Why not arrange an event with a few friends and a similar aim? A good cause. Charity is a good reason to do anything, right? Who could say no to that? You might raise a few quid for a cause you're about, you know, that you care about. Personally, I love the Movember Foundation, but whatever. What am I suggesting? I am trying to plant the thought that we need as gamers to help non-gamers understand that our hobby can be a force for good. Parents sell role-playing for its application in encouraging imagination, creative thought, creative writing, maths, social interaction skills and time with the kids. Don't bother explaining how cool dragons are. Show them that your interest can be a force for good. Talk about arranging a reunion of old friends. We are going to shoot the breeze, play a game and catch up. It's all about reconnecting. Most partners can understand that. Do it as a one-off. Make it as unobtrusive as possible. Don't be secretive. Let them see who comes over and what you do. Have a good time. Clean up afterwards. And don't mention repeating the event until you've assessed the impact. In short, 
organize a one-off game session. If you can, GM a one-shot adventure in a game that the guests all get a jam with, you know, that they like. Go for it. Leave it a week or two and then ask if you can do it again. Maybe this time it's not for charity, but it was such fun and you want to get your friends over again and so on. Build it slow. Be respectful of your family and partner or significant other. Handle any complaints by adjusting the details. Aim for once a month maximum to begin with. If you can go for weekly, that's all gravy. Game on. What if, after an hour of thinking about it, you don't have any friends on a list to ask? Well, first of all, do you want a face-to-face game or can you hop online? I aim to do episodes on online gaming down the line. Actually, I'm also going to tackle gaming solo too, but for the purposes of today, well... Let's think about attracting new players to the table. What I'd do is start carrying the game of choice around with me. I'd leave it lying around at work, but then I'm a teacher and I have a desk. But you get my point. Show and or tell people what you're thinking about. You know, that you want to roleplay a game. Actually, I'd use the biggest brand out there as my hook. I'd start saying, you know, I've been thinking about playing some Dungeons & Dragons again. Being a geek in 1983 through until about 1995, that would have been social suicide. But that's not the case anymore. Game of Thrones, The Lord of the Rings, Marvel films and a myriad of other cool TV or movie stuff is part of mainstream culture right now. Be not afraid to speak the words of doom. I want to play Dungeons & Dragons. Did you know that Dungeons & Dragons, the modern 5th edition of the game, is available for free online? I'll stick a link in the show notes, but you can download a PDF for free. It has all the rules, four classes, four races, spells, monsters, yeah. It's the basic rules of the D&D game for free. At school, I rather naughtily printed up some staple-bound A5 copies of the AD&D, or sorry, D&D basic rules, and left them lying around. People picked them up and would ask me questions because on the cover I put in pencil, my name, Oh, Jay, I found your D&D booklet lying in the staff room. Do you play D&D then? Conversation started. It's bait. Cheeky, huh? Look, be creative. Who knows if your workmate would be interested. And then you could go searching for a game cafe. More cities have these than you'd think. Or a friendly local gaming store. Do an online search, ask around. Go along. You will always, eventually, find other souls who are seeking a table. Or you can go online and search Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds, to name but two platforms, for a game to play in. Personally, if you can find a Saturday 7pm GMT slot of three or four hours, I'd welcome you to come and play Castles and Crusades with my group at the Society of Extraordinary Gamers. I'll stick a link to that in the show notes too. Are you a gamer who has some tips for those listeners who are trying to find a way back to the table? Could you get in touch and share your ideas? Or, if you are a rescuer, seeking to make this happen and struggling with your own challenge, why not get in touch to share the problem? Maybe we can help you out. You can leave a message easily. If you haven't got the Anchor mobile app, download it onto your phone, search for Roleplay Rescue and tap on the Messages button to leave a call in. Thanks for your help. Remember, this is about building a community of discovery together. Please come and add your voice to the conversation.
Ray Otis of Plundergrounds. Yeah, you asked an enormously useful question and it has got me back on track. Thank you. We've looked at ways to start heading back to the table. I've asked you why you want to add gaming back into your life. I've challenged you to start small and find an hour to build a plan. We've discussed various cheeky ways to convince the significant others in our lives to let us have some fun. And in the end, we've built a platform for our one-shot adventure. We've even considered how to attract new gamers to the hobby. Obviously, we are only scratching the surface of the question Ray asked at the start, but I hope it has been a useful scratch, a vaguely interesting and informative beginning. I hope I've done some justice to the original question. Shay, Aaron Clark, phoning you all the way from California. Just finished your Series 1 of Roleplay Rescue. Thanks very much for that. It was very enjoyable. Well, it seems like you have kind of made some of the discoveries that I have in terms of organizing open tables, but you've kind of codified them a little bit better, so thanks for that. I'll be applying those principles. When I organize my games, I just sort of tell my players, this is what I'm running, who can make it? And if I get at least one now, I'll take them. Um, and also, my hat is off to you, my friend, for bringing up the next generation in our hobby. Thank you very much for doing that. A real unsung hero. Uh, I'm sure all of those children will thank you for it or curse for you for it for <laughs> years to come. All right, take care. Hey Aaron, great to hear from you and I think a first time calling so thank you so much for picking up the phone, you know, sending the message. It's great. I don't know about unsung hero. I think you just sung me, didn't you? Um, but yeah, okay, no problem. Uh, you know what? I just consider it dead important as a teacher you know, I can teach them all sorts of stuff, but uh, I think we have to share all other things, don't we? So that's why I do it. It's it's not about anything more than selfish desire to get a game. As for your comments on open tables, dude, thanks for um, yeah no, the encouragement. I think knowing that somebody is listening and thinks that I've got something to say that's really helpful. Just remember those principles they came from the Alexandrian. Um, hit up his his blog, thealexandrian.net. Anyway, um, thanks so much for calling in. Um, I know there's a second message, dude. I'm going to save it for mm, something special. Um, just kind of watch this space. Cheers. All the best, Aaron, and thanks for calling in. Hi, Shay. Pete Jones here. Um, I, like the others have said uh, um, previously, glad you're coming back for a second season. Enjoyed the first one. Um, what I would be interested in uh, for your upcoming series uh, is online gaming. Um, Something I've considered, but not actually got around to. Bought a headset and mic. Um, looked at uh, what others are doing, but I uh, haven't got the guts to uh, get up and do it yet. So um be interesting to see uh, what uh, you say about that one. Maybe you'll kickstart me in doing some online gaming. Anyway, speak to you, speak to you soon. Bye now. Hey Pete, good to hear from you. Um, this is Pete Jones. If you don't know, he's uh, from the Dragons Are Real podcast. Pete, great to hear from you. Online stuff, yeah, I'm... Yeah, I've got a lot to say about that. i um got an episode coming up this season, but I'm also going to be talking about it on and off as I go forward through the season. So kind of watch this space. What I would say, though, is if you know, you've know you got the gear and you're ready and it's kind of a matter of confidence, why don't you uh, consider hopping online and coming and joining in a game? You could, if you wanted to, hop online on Saturday nights um, every other week via the Society of Extraordinary Gamers I run a uh, Castles and Crusades game 
and you'd be very welcome. Um, other than that, you know, just hop online and see who might have a space. Anyway, thanks for the call in. Great to hear from you, especially as a first time call in. And I'll speak to you soon. I hope you are enjoying Roleplay Rescue. If you ever want to get in touch, ask questions or share your point of view, you can leave me a voice message. You can also drop comments onto the Roleplay Rescue page on Facebook and the even more popular page on MeWe. Just search for Roleplay Rescue on those social media platforms and you can follow the pages with an easy click. You can even email me via hello at rpgrescue.com. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next weekend with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on. Thank you.